0: Good morning. Um, we'll be reading from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we, mo- we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I forgot that this sermon series was called Jesus Changes Everything. That's a good title. Good job. (laughs) Well, good morning. I don't know what else I have to add after what's transpired so far. But I'm grateful to be here, grateful that you are here as well. Um, I want to say a thank you to those who helped with our thankful meal at the Hope Center last week. We had a great time, and a lot of families were there and had a great time as well, and we couldn't have done it with those of you who provided food and came and helped out. And like Jordan said, uh, we have our Christmas store coming up at the Hope Center uh, December 2nd, and there is a tote out in the lobby if you would like to donate some toys for that, uh, you can see Lauren or myself if you want more information. But yeah, we're doing that. We didn't do it last year. And you're welcome to provide toys to, to bless our families at Christmas time. Let me pray, and then we'll get into the passage that Jenny had read. Our Father God, we are thankful for your goodness, your love, your mercy. Thankful that you are sovereign, that you are faithful. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. We thank you for new life and the ways that you are working in our midst. We pray that you would bless and sanctify this time, that you would impress upon each one of our hearts, at least one truth that you have for us to hold on to, to apply, to really uh, seek to put into practice in our lives. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would protect this place from the enemy who wants to snatch away truth. Pray that we would meet with you and experience you during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, a lot of people make a big deal that last words are significant, whether it's like someone's last will and testimony, whether it's saying goodbye to a friend or loved one that you may not see again for a long time or perhaps may never see again. And when you think about last words, um, I imagine people think, What do you say? <laughs> Might not see him again, or might not see him for years. What do you say? What do you emphasize? Usually, it's probably going to be a word of encouragement and exhortation. Say, "I love you." It's a good one. And then you think about with with writing, whether it's a letter or a card, you're able to think a little bit more about those last words. What what do you want to end with? What do you want to leave? with the person, and letter writing is something that we don't do much anymore, right? It's usually text, video call, Zoom, email. But because I've known a number of people who have been incarcerated, um, I do letter writing somewhat frequently. Um, It's one of the primary ways to communicate with someone who's locked up. And when I write a letter, I always think about, what do I want to end with? I want to let them know that I'm remembering you. I'm thinking about you. I also want to leave them with a word of encouragement or an exhortation, something biblical like, trust in the Lord, don't give up, press on, find your identity in God, or something similar to that. Because you want to leave them with something significant with the last words that you're writing to them, something that will stick in their heart and their mind. And today, this is what we have in the letter to the Colossians. I know the letter goes on, and next week will be the last bit where Paul has this list of people that he's talking about and all that. But today is his last words of instructions to the Colossians and vicariously to us. So I think these are important. These are the last words that Paul wanted to leave with the believers in Colossae, people that he's never visited probably and most of whom he has never met. So what does he say? What are his words of encouragement? What are his instructions? Because these are significant. These are the last words that he wants to leave with them and for us as well today. And there's two things, two instructions that Paul leaves out of that passage that Jenny read earlier from Colossians 4, 2 through 6. One is to persevere in prayer. Another is, think about how you interact with outsiders. Think about how you interact with those who aren't believers, maybe, or maybe those who aren't yet part of your fellowship. So the first one is related to prayer. Persevere in prayer. And I don't know what you think about with prayer, but I think people have lots of thoughts about prayer. They get easily distracted. It's a burden. Maybe it's a joy. Maybe it's a delight. It's something you do at mealtime. It's something you do in church. Lots of different things that people think about with prayer And I've got some questions related to prayer. One is, do we always like to pray or want to pray? Now, for honest, probably not, because it takes discipline to, to be still. It takes discipline to focus our hearts and our, our hearts and our minds on God in prayer, which I think is why Paul makes this command here: "Be devoted to pray. We're commanded to do it. It's not an optional experience for followers of Jesus. In the original language, it means to persist, to be intently engaged in, to persevere, which is why I'm talking about persevering in prayer. I feel like it's a little stronger than the NIVs be devoted to prayer. Paul is exhorting his original readers and us to be committed to prayer and to persevere in it. And if you think about perseverance, perseverance... Is usually in relation to something that's difficult or challenging in life. We have to persevere through hard and challenging things, whether it's a relational difficulty, rebellious children, heavy-handed parents, financial difficulties, sickness, and the list goes on and on. We don't normally think about persevering through a movie or a video game, although sometimes if you're binge-watching something, you might think, well, I persevered through that series or that show, or maybe you persevered through risk or monopoly or a thousand-piece puzzle, but perseverance usually is something that you've got to be committed to, you've got to spend lots of time with, and usually it has this implication of it being hard, challenging, or difficult. So if we are to persevere in prayer, then it means we stick with it even if we're tired or we feel the urge to do something else. We discipline ourselves our hearts, our bodies, our minds, to be present, to be engaged in prayer, to be intentional in communion with the Lord. Prayer is not easy because we're easily distracted. We're easily distracted from prayer, but we can grow in prayer and learn to persevere. A few weeks ago, some of us went through a four-week class on Sunday morning related to prayer, and I would highly recommend it. Um, I think Jordan has plans to offer it again. I would, it was beneficial to me and to my family. Hannah was there with us, and she actually learned some stuff from it that she was able to share at the at the Hope Center. But it was really good because it had great biblical teaching on prayer and also gave us some some new practices, some new things that we can experiment with and try. In our prayer life, and so I would recommend it because it could help you learn and grow in prayer, and also learn to persevere in prayer, like Paul is talking about today. And if we think about perseverance in prayer, there's uh, there's two aspects to that I think about. One is praying for an extended period of time, like praying for several hours at a time. And I've tried that, and that's not easy to not easy to do. And I can't say for sure that I've succeeded at that. The other is praying over and over again for the same thing. Perhaps for days, weeks, months, even years, you're persevering, asking God for the same thing. And I think Paul probably has both in mind when he talks about us persevering in prayer. There are times when we need to spend extended times in prayer. I think Jesus did this. When he went away by himself at times, he persevered in prayer, praying by himself for an extended period of time. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you see him doing the same. He persevered in prayer. And then there are other times when we need to keep praying for the same thing over and over again. You think of the Israelites in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They prayed and cried out to God for years and years until it was the right time for God to come and save and deliver them out of slavery in Egypt. And there are probably biblical, many other biblical examples of both. But persevering in prayer, it could be, again, like a few hours in prayer, or it could be just doing the same thing over and over again. But when we persevere in prayer, we grow closer to God. We demonstrate our faith and our commitment to him. We demonstrate our trust in him and our desire to see something happen. And I do believe that God does hear and will answer our prayers. The caveat is in his time. Our task is to persevere. There's some mystery with prayer, right? Because you ask, well, why didn't God answer the way I thought? Or why didn't he answer my prayer at all from a worldly perspective? That's the mystery part. Our part is to pray, to persevere in prayer, and trust God with the results And as Paul continues talking about prayer, we are to be watchful or vigilant and then thankful. Giving thanks is what we think about this time of year, right? With Thanksgiving just a few days away. But as followers of Jesus, we ought to have this attitude and mindset of thanksgiving all the time. In all circumstances is what Paul says elsewhere in scripture. If nothing else, we can give thanks for who God is and what he's done for us. So we are to give thanks, but we are also to be watchful or vigilant. So going back to Gethsemane, that's not what the disciples did. Jesus said, keep watch. Well, what they do, they fell asleep. We are to keep watch, to be vigilant, to be engaged in prayer. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes focus for us to stay engaged and focus. Our minds, our hearts in prayer. And besides being vigilant and thankful, in verses three through four, Paul asks for the prayers for him. And I find it really fascinating what Paul is asking for. So he's locked up, he's in chains, he's incarcerated for being a Christian, for sharing the good news of Jesus. And he doesn't ask for them to pray for his release, for his freedom. He doesn't ask them to pray for his health or for his physical needs. He asks for them to pray for an open door for the gospel, to be able to share the good news about Jesus, and then for him to be able to do it clearly. Rather than praying for an open door from prison, he prays for an open door for the gospel. Paul wants to keep doing the same thing, the very thing that got him arrested in the first place. He prays that he would be able to keep doing that and have an open door to share the mystery of Christ for which he's in chains. Because Paul's priorities in life revolve around God and his kingdom and the expansion of God's kingdom in the world. Paul, his circumstances, and his words, challenge, I think, much of what we value in America, we value ease, comfort, entertaining ourselves, and when we pray, you, we often pray for an easy life, a quick answer, for the pain to go away, the sickness to go away, the relational problems to go away, and I don't think that's bad to pray those things, but I think God calls us to something deeper, and scripture calls us to something deeper in prayer, and there are depths in our relationship with God that we can only reach by persevering In prayer, which perhaps is why God doesn't always answer our prayers immediately or doesn't answer the ways that we expect, because he wants us, and he wants us to go deep, and the only way we can go deep sometimes is by perseverance, whether it's an extended time of prayer for several hours or if it's praying for the same thing for a long period of time. Often our prayers are just self-centered things that want to make our lives easier, less painful, rather than for the expansion of God's kingdom in the world or for an open door to share the good news of Jesus. And our display in the back is a good reminder for us with uh, four jars, with the pebbles, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't done it. It's a good, tangible, visual reminder for us to be thinking about sharing the gospel, about looking for those open doors, about having spiritual conversations with others, about serving and loving others, practicing hospitality. These are the things that we ought to be doing as followers of Jesus. And on our way out, we have that visual, that reminder. On our way in, hopefully we can put a pebble in one of those jars Each Sunday as together we seek to practice the life of Jesus and following him as a community. And so as Paul wraps up his last words in Colossians, he commands us to persevere in prayer, and then secondly, he commands us to think about our interactions with outsiders. He says in verse 5, "...be wise in the way you act toward outsiders." Literally, he is saying walk in wisdom toward outsiders or live in wisdom toward outsiders. How do we interact with those outside the faith? How do we interact with those outside our church fellowship? Paul tells us to live in wisdom in our interactions with them. A couple of scriptures came to my mind. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We are to live good lives in the world with those who are not believers and live such good lives that they see God, that they see Jesus, that even though they might accuse us of doing wrong, they can see God's life within us. And Jesus said in Matthew five sixteen, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, that we are to light, let the light of Christ shine through our good deeds, through our good words, through our good Actions as we live in a world of outsiders. And again, this is a command. It's not optional. We don't get to pick and choose and think, well, my coworker, she's condescending, she's malicious, it's okay if I gossip about her, or it's okay if I treat her harshly. I think Paul would say that's acting foolishly, not wisely. Some questions to ask us as we think about our interactions with outsiders, would someone know that you're a Christian through your words, through your actions, without you verbally telling them that you're a Christian? Would your life demonstrate the life of Christ so that even if someone didn't know that you're a Christian, they'd think, oh, there's something different about him or her because of how they speak, how they treat me, the actions, the way that they live their lives, Or do we look, act, sound like the world? Do we live the life of Christ? Are there godly distinctives about our life? Can people see Jesus in us? We need to live in wisdom with outsiders so that they can see that. Jesus told the apostles in Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes, And as innocent as doves. And that's really hard to do. And I think sometimes we can be as shrewd as snakes, and other times we can be innocent as doves, but Jesus is saying, you gotta do both. That's living in wisdom with outsiders. How do we know? How do we know how to live in wisdom? How do we know how to be shrewd and innocent at the same time? Well, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, we need to have spiritual discernment. I've met some crafty and shrewd people in my life. And you know what? I watch my words (laughs) when I'm around those types of people. I watch what I say, but I also watch what I don't say around people who are crafty and shrewd and might be malicious in some way. Because you've got to be careful around worldly people who they might try to trap you, they might try to trip you up, might try to see your downfall or take advantage of you. Now, I don't think we should ever be deceitful, vengeful, malicious, or withhold the good news of Jesus, or withhold our faith and be timid about that, but we do need to be careful. We do need to be wise in our interactions with outsiders. Sometimes we need to be quiet and withhold. Sometimes we need to speak up. There's wisdom that we need to have to know what to do, and I don't have a silver bullet answer to that, but I do think wisdom to know what to do in those situations comes from the Spirit, comes from time and God's Word and getting advice from trusted Christian friends when we have the opportunity. For example, I'm not going to share all my struggles and temptations with everyone, but with a close, trusted Christian friend, I can be more open and deep and intimate in that relationship. We need to be wise with what we say to whom and when, especially with outsiders, I do think it is helpful to be honest and vulnerable about our weaknesses and failures because so often Christians are held up as like these perfect people, and we're not. And so when we're honest and transparent, that can open up opportunities as well. So Paul outlines two things related how how we can live in wisdom with outsiders. One is to make the most of the opportunities in front of us, and the second is to watch our words. So in verse 5, he talks about making the most of every opportunity. It literally means redeem the time. The English translation, make the most of every opportunity, is good. But I want to take a moment just to dive into this a little bit as you think about the phrase redeeming the time. Because in Greek, there's two different words for time. There's kairos. And then there's chronos. And chronos is the word that's the root of chronology, chronological. This is like measured time. Um, so for example, if I said I worked out for 30 minutes, that would be chronos. Or if I said meet me at Mad Goat at 9.30 AM on Tuesday, that would be chronos time. It's very specific. It's measurable. It's often how white middle class Americans think about time. The other is kairos. And this refers to the right time or season. So we would think of farmers harvesting at the right time. Well, what's the right time? Is it October 10th at 6 a.m.? No, the right time is when the harvest is ready to be harvested, whether it's September 30th or October 30th. That's Kairos time. It's the right time, the opportune time. And that's what Paul is talking about here. The opportune time, the right season, making the most of those opportunities that God puts in front of us. And it relates to what Paul said earlier about praying for an open door. The the open door is the right time. When you pray for the open door and then you've got it, that's the right time to seize and to walk into what God has for you in those spiritual conversations. An example of this, um, our neighbors are awesome and we love them and we're getting to know them more and being able to have some conversations with them about God and our faith and so this was a while ago because it was warm. Hannah and I took our dog out to go potty at the end of the evening. And when we're outside, they had their windows open. And Hannah said, they're watching Superbook. I was like, what? Superbook is a kid's uh, Christian video series. And she knew just from the music that it was Superbook. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know that. But she said, they're watching Superbook. And so I put that in my head. I was like, all right, they're watching Superbook. Why are they watching Superbook? Because <laughs> I knew it was a kid's Christian series. So I thought, well, let me wait. And next time I have an opportunity, I'll ask about Superbook. And when I one time when we were outside, I had the opportunity to talk to my neighbor. And I just said, hey, we heard that you guys were watching Superbook the other day. Can you tell me about that? And it just opened the door to being able to have a conversation more about about them and their spiritual journey in life. And this is what Paul is talking about. Look for those opportunities. Look for the open doors that are in front of you and make the most of those opportunities. And we all have them. Uh, they might be in different contexts, different spheres of life, but we have those opportunities. Our job is to be alert and watchful, like Paul said earlier, watchful in prayer. And God will give you those opportunities, whether it's with your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, maybe even at the grocery store, God might give you an opportunity. Our job is to recognize them and then walk into those Kairos moments, being spiritually aware, alert, prayerfully watchful. And I think God will give us those as a guarantee in life. If you're a follower of Jesus, guaranteed God's going to give you opportunities to talk with people about spiritual things, to be able to share the gospel. We just need to recognize them. Now, what if we miss it? Because I've missed it before. <laughs> Then you just pray for another opportunity, right? Maybe apologize if you feel like you need to to God, but pray and ask him to give you another opportunity. Maybe you're talking about spiritual things with someone, and then all of a sudden you switch the conversation to movies. Like, oh, dummy. Maybe you don't say dummy. That's not good. You have to have better self-talk. I just watched a video on that. But <laughs> you pray and ask God for another opportunity. And then he says, watch your words. This is another way we can be wise in our interactions with outsiders. Let your conversation be all as full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. As followers of Jesus, our speech should be different from the world around us. And I would say it should be consistent, not two-faced, not having one way you talk around quote-unquote church people and another way you talk in the world, or not one way in church and another way in school and business. We should be consistent with our speech in all places and in a way that honors God. And when we do so, it points people to Jesus. And he says, seasoned with salt. And I was like, what? (laughs) That's kind of a, I don't have time to get into all of it. But what does salt do? It brings out the flavor of food and preserves it. And with our speech, do we speak words that are full of life, words that are flavorful, words that work as a preservative, or are words rotten, full of decay, and bland? And personally, I believe the truth of God's word is very interesting, attractive, and lively, even for outsiders. When I talk about stories from the Bible in different contexts, especially with young people, they're curious. Jesus is captivating. Jesus is compelling and attractive. And when our speech is saturated with truth, I believe it's captivating, it's compelling, it's attractive, and people will be drawn to us because they see Jesus in us. When we have words that are full of life, and that is the the salt, full of that life, that preservative, the thing that brings out the flavor. For example, suppose someone is harsh or mean towards you or takes advantage of you in some way, but you respond with graciousness and kindness. Well, people notice that. They might not tell you at least right away but if you're a follower of Jesus, people are watching your life and you are on trial every single day because people are looking to see do they live out what they say that they believe? If we do, it points people toward Jesus and if we don 't, well, then it brings shame and disgrace to jesus unless unless we apologize unless we ask for forgiveness, unless we seek to repair what we broke or made a mess of. And that was my next question. What do we do if we fail or mess up? Because we're going to, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things that we wish we hadn't. We're going to say things that were sinful that we would regret. Well, if we're honest about it, we say, I'm sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. Sometimes that's a more powerful testimony than when we act like we've got it all together because we don't. We don't have it all together. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect church. And so we need to stop pretending sometimes and just be honest and real with people because I've messed up before. Even with kids, I've had to say, I was harsh with you. I'm so sorry about that. Will you please forgive me? And then when people mistreat us and hurt us, if we forgive them, Rather than holding a grudge or seeking revenge, if we forgive them when they hurt us or say things that hurt us, again, that's another powerful way that we can point people towards Jesus and have opportunities to testify to God and to his kingdom and the new way of life that he offers us. And the last thing, and briefly the last thing I'll say about our passage for today, which we miss in English is both of the commands, persevere in prayer and then live in wisdom with outsiders. Both of these are plural. These are not individualistic commands. Paul's writing to the whole body of believers in Colossae, and our Christian faith is not an individualistic personal faith. Our life is a life together. It's a corporate faith. It's a community. Jesus didn't just call um, individuals. He called a community community. Which is why I think he started with 12 apostles, because he is creating a new community. He is creating a new way of life. And so this address that Paul gives, these final instructions, are for us. It's for the church. It's not just for you to persevere in prayer, but it's for us together to persevere in prayer, praying for each other, praying together for certain things from God. And without prayer, without a dependency on Jesus together, we're never going to accomplish anything of lasting value. So we need to do it. And we need to do it together to pray, to express our faith and dependency. And then think about what is the reputation of connection in the community? What's our corporate witness? Are we corporately wise in the way we interact with outsiders? Or do people think about connection and think, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites What's our reputation? From my observation, from what I've talked about with others, we generally have a good reputation, which I'm glad for. People generally think positively of connection because I think we're mostly authentic in our lives and in our faith. We don't try to put on a face or try to be somebody that we're not. And this is why I think God wants. God wants real, sincere faith in him because, like I said, that's attractive to the world. So individually, corporately, Paul's commands are for us to pursue Jesus together, seeking to live prayerful lives, persevering in prayer, making the most of the opportunities God gives us. And as we do, we're going to have this wisdom with outsiders, speaking and acting in love, pointing people toward Jesus and the new life and hope he has for us. So as I was thinking about Talking about prayer, I wanted us to just take a few, time, few minutes to apply that. So, if you ladies don't mind coming up, they're gonna, they're gonna play before we sing our last song. And I wanted us to have a time to put this into practice, to persevere in prayer. And some ideas for us are one, you could pray through the passage. Just go through it line by line, praying for it for yourself, for your family, for our church. You could spend some time in Thanksgiving. This is when we think about that with Thanksgiving on Thursday. You could spend some time in Thanksgiving. Um, You might ask the Spirit, like, look around the room, see if God lays someone on your heart to pray for, and you could just pray for them where you're at, or if God lays someone on your heart to have the... The freedom in this space to get up and go and pray for that individual or couple, maybe that God might put on your life. I don't want to direct it too much, but I want to give a little bit of some uh, some thoughts there for us. So I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll just take a few minutes for us to pray. We've talked about prayer, and I want us to practice yet before we wrap up. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide and direct this time pray for each one of us, whatever it is that we might need to talk with you about, whether it's just being still and listening, whether it's confessing sin, praying through our passage for today, maybe there's someone that you place on our heart and our mind to to pray for them. We ask that you would direct this time, that you would give us the freedom and courage to respond in obedience to what you say to each one of us. Please grow us in perseverance and prayer. Grow us closer to you and our obedience to life that you've called us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.